When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we have some breaking news. Bill Ackman, that bought in a billion dollars worth of Netflix just three months ago, sold entirely out of the company, dumped his entire, his entire position in it only three months after buying in. And he did it after a 37% loss. So in this episode, we're going to be going over his letter of why he explains the reasons that he sold the company. We're also going to be talking about my holding in Netflix. I haven't sold yet, and I want to share my thoughts on if I'm going to sell or what my plans are going forward. And then we also have another subject I want to dive into in this episode, which is Amazon's upcoming earnings next Thursday. Amazon is by far my biggest position. We have their earnings just one week away, and I have some thoughts on what to expect for their upcoming earnings. So we have a lot to get into. Let's go ahead and jump right in. All right, so first of all, let's go ahead and look at the letter here. Dear Pershing Square Investors, today we sold our investment in Netflix. So they sold the entire thing, which we purchased earlier this year. The loss on our investment reduced Pershing Square Fund's year-to-date returns by four percentage points. So he had roughly the same position size I did. I lost maybe four and a half percentage points based on uh, just that one day, the 36 down, 36% down move. He says, reflecting this loss as of today's close, Pershing Square Funds are down approximately 2% year-to-date. So people that are are kind of dunking on Bill Ackman, like he's a bad investor because he bought it and then sold it quickly, realize that he's down 2% year to date. So take a look at your portfolio year to date, see how you're doing and see if it's better than 2%. Anyways, he goes on and says, while we have high regard for Netflix's management and the remarkable company they have built in light of the enormous operating leverage inherent in the company's business model, changes in the company's future subscriber growth can have an outsized impact on our estimate of its intrinsic value. In our original analysis, we viewed this operating leverage favorably due to our long-term growth expectations for the company. Yesterday, in response to continued disappointing customer subscriber growth, Netflix announced that it would modify its subscription-only model to be more aggressive in going after non-paying customers and to incorporate advertising, an approach the management's estimates would take one to two years to implement. While we believe these business model changes are sensible, it is extremely difficult to predict their impact on the company's long-term subscriber growth, future revenues, operating margins, and capital intensity. Now, he goes on saying his requirements for any investment. We require a high degree of predictability in the businesses in which we invest due to the highly concentrated nature of our portfolio. While Netflix's business is fundamentally simple to understand, in light of recent events, We have lost confidence in our ability to predict the company's future prospects with a sufficient degree of certainty. Based on management's track record, we would not be surprised to see Netflix continue to be a highly successful company and an excellent investment from its current market value. That said, we believe the dispersion of outcomes has widened to a sufficiently large extent that it is challenging for the company to meet the requirements for a core holding. One of our learnings from the past mistakes is to act promptly when we discover new information about an investment that is inconsistent with our original thesis. This is why we did so here. We are in the midst of an opportunity-rich environment for Pershing Square due to the dramatic shifts in the Federal Reserve policy 
a highly inflationary environment, geopolitical uncertainty, and the resulting high degree of scrutiny price volatility. We therefore expect to find good use for the Netflix proceeds. So when I read this letter, I think it was a fancy way, a well-worded way of Bill Ackman just saying, look, this last earnings report was shocking. We didn't expect it. This is way different than our normal investment thesis. And we're just taking our losses and move on and moving on to something we expect. That's basically what I see him saying. We just did not expect this outcome. So I don't blame Bill Ackman for selling. In fact, I think it fits with his investing framework pretty well. The question is, what do I do in this situation? I am down $20,800 in this portfolio. And the huge majority of these losses, 16400 is from Netflix alone. The big majority of my overall losses in this entire portfolio is from one company. So Netflix so far has been a disastrous investment. It's thrown me into the red and every single time we climb back to the green and I start making progress, actually making gains, Netflix has another quarter, which just knocks me right back into the red. So this has been more than a frustrating investment. It's been a terrible investment and I want to go over what I think I did wrong and what I plan on doing now. So Let's go ahead and first talk about what I did wrong. A lot of people go right away to blaming valuation. They say, the reason that you're in the red on Netflix is because it was overvalued. It was a valuation problem. You don't run discounted cash flow analysis, right? A lot of people say that. First of all, that's not true. I have a Discord where I discuss valuations all the time with lots of different investors. We go through different scenarios and discounted cash flow analysis. And when I put this much money into any investment, I do a lot of valuation work on it. So this wasn't a lack of effort in valuation. And I think that simply saying the company was overvalued when you were buying it, I think that understates the real problems here. An important component of valuation is your expected growth of the company. That is one really important ingredient or or factor to factor into the valuation. And in that growth, there's two important components. There's how quickly you think the company will grow and for how long do you think it will grow. Those two variables alone determine a huge part of the terminal value or the intrinsic value of a company. So if you have a company that you believe will grow at a very brisk pace, and you think it will grow for a very long period of time, 10 plus years, that is a company that you're willing to pay more for than one that you think is just gonna stay flat and not really grow, but it's just gonna kinda stay where it is. That one would deserve a lesser multiple and a lower valuation. So the growth rate and the expected growth of the company is a huge component of the price that you should be paying for the company. My assumptions with Netflix is that right now today, it would have over 250 million subscribers. That was my growth assumption. They're struggling to get past 220 million. They got to 222 and they're expecting to shrink. So it's kind of part of my valuation. The growth assessment is part of my valuation. But more specifically, the big thing that I got wrong with my analysis on Netflix is the expected growth rate of the company. They're running into resistance with their growth rate far quicker than I expected. I expected at a minimum that they would be able to get to 350 million subscribers before seeing a lot of resistance in their growth. And here we are at 220 million and they're seeing a lot of resistance. So again, you can say this was a valuation problem. While that's technically true, within the scope of valuation is the growth assumptions. And that's specifically the part that I got wrong. If Netflix continued to grow, according to my valuation and analysis, what I thought it would continue to grow at, then I'd be still fine paying the price I originally paid. If they grew to 250 million subscribers and they're adding more subscribers every single quarter, I don't think we'd be seeing the massive sell-offs that we're seeing. I think the price I paid for it would have been completely fine. So of course where Netflix has run into trouble 
is their growth has completely stopped. It's came to a grinding halt. And now it's the question of whether or not they can continue to grow at all. That's the question investors face. So that requires a completely different valuation. And I think the multiple contraction associated with that, the re-rating of the company makes sense. I think it's deserved. I got the analysis wrong. I thought the company would grow with ease. It's not growing with ease. It's running into a lot of trouble. So it deserves to be re-rated at a lower valuation. So the question for me is, what do I do at this point? Do I do what Bill Ackman did and just dump the holding and move on? Or do I hang on to it? And by the way, before you leave your comment of, this is why you don't follow Bill Ackman into a holding. I did not follow Bill Ackman into buying Netflix. I've held this company long before he was ever involved in it. So before you leave that comment, I didn't buy the company because Bill Ackman bought it. Now, the question remains, what do I do with my remainder of Netflix? I currently have $11,200 of value, and I haven't sold a single share. I've not sold out any part of this company. I've decided that I'm going to hang on to it. I just want to see a full year's performance. And if this is a consistent trend of declining subscribers for the foreseeable future, or if they can reverse this and start to gain subscribers towards the end of the year, which is usually their best months. Because right now, Netflix has traded down so much, another 36% in one day, and then another 3%, that there is a ton of pessimism built into this stock. It's been completely re-rated. It's down to a 24 PE ratio. So all the growth investors have dumped out of the stock. They've moved on. And now it's being priced with much lower expectations. The expectations are very low for Netflix as of right now. So I could continue to lose money with Netflix. They could continue to disappoint even below the current low expectations. But I think the expectations are very low. I think pessimism is very high. People are becoming very bearish on streaming and Netflix in general. So I think the opportunity for them to actually outperform expectations are higher right now than they were a year ago. Certainly much higher. So I'm going to hold on to Netflix for at least the next quarter. I'm going to be looking at next quarter and seeing if they guide down again throughout the rest of the year and how many subscribers they really lose. They're projecting a loss of 2 million subscribers. And if they lose more than 2 million, I'm dumping the stock. So that'll be the final straw. I'll sell the company at that point at a big loss. But I just want to see if they're being very conservative, if they actually beat the expectations of the minus 2 million subscribers and what they guide for the remainder of the year, because that's usually a strong quarter for them. So I think that next quarter will be very revealing of Netflix and what their future path is. And I just don't feel comfortable dumping out of the story as of right now. So that's what I'm choosing to do. But I understand if people sold it. I understand if people bought in right now. Everyone has different views and expectations on Netflix, but that's what I'm doing. I'm going to be holding on to Netflix for one more quarter and seeing how this shakes out for the rest of the year. Now, moving on, I want to talk about Amazon. This is by far my biggest holding. I have 41.8% of my portfolio into Amazon. And I feel very confident in this holding. It has a couple things that I think Netflix lacked as an investment. Primarily, it has a margin of safety. I think that AWS as a business acts as this enormous margin of safety. To put it in perspective, there's companies like Netflix, Disney, there's Warner Media, there's all these streaming companies like Stars and Showtime and you know all these different ones competing to be the best streaming service. But no matter which one wins, it doesn't matter, Amazon wins. They're hosting the data for every single streaming service, virtually all of them except for Apple's, right? They're hosting the data for every single streaming service. So they're kind of like this real estate landlord of the streaming services. They win no matter who becomes victorious, whether it's Netflix or or Disney. Both of them use AWS. So I look at Amazon as an inevitable winner. It's a platform that has a growth path that I think is very unlikely to be disrupted. And I think that that brings in a much larger margin of safety than the smaller bets of companies like 
Adobe or Salesforce. I think that Amazon is a much safer bet. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and look at some of the valuation of Amazon and their fundamentals. Like I said, the earnings are right around the corner. They're next Thursday for Amazon. And that's very important for my portfolio because I have over 40% of my portfolio in this one company. I can recover from a loss in Netflix. I can recover from a loss in Alibaba, but I cannot recover from a loss in Amazon. If this company doesn't perform well over the next four years, then I'm not going to be able to outperform the S&P 500. So having said that, let's go ahead and jump right into this. The market cap is $1.57 trillion. So $1.5 trillion market cap. A lot of people look at the Ford PE of the company and base Amazon's valuation off of that. I think that's an incorrect way of looking at it because Amazon, they do things with their earnings that I don't think are fully reflective of their profitability. For example, we can look at the annual free cash flow here. Notice how it goes up into the double digit billions for 2018, 2019, 2020. It's growing consecutively every single year. And then Amazon has negative free cash flow of 15 billion in 2021. Now, did Amazon struggle in 2021? Did the company, was it like Netflix where they're just losing customers? No, this company's on fire. They're growing like crazy. The reason that they have negative $15 billion of free cash flow in 2021 is because they did massive CapEx investments in their retail business. They hired hundreds of thousands of new employees. They opened up hundreds of warehouses. They bought planes. They bought shipping trucks. They bought vans. They did massive investments that they expect to get a return on in the future. Now, having said all of that, let's go ahead and jump into the sum of the parts valuation. This is where you break out the different aspects of Amazon and give each of them their own unique valuation based on future assumptions. And I think that this is pretty accurate conservative assumptions. So we have the first thing that we can look at, which is one party, first party revenue. This is the stuff that Amazon sells themselves on their website, not third party sellers. So when Amazon sells their own items on their websites, in many cases, it's stuff that other people don't want to sell. Amazon doesn't really want to compete with all their sellers. They'd rather fill in the gaps and make the shopping experience more complete. They want you to have a wide selection of stuff. So they look for the stuff that doesn't have great margins, and that's what they try to sell. So their first party revenues is a lot like Walmart. It's just not high margin. It's very low margin revenue. And because of that, we're going to only give this a one times price to sales. So just a one price to sales, this part of the company will be valued at one year's worth of sales. They're expected to do in 2023, $336 billion in first party sales. It's a lot of sales, but this is Amazon we're talking about. And if we give that a 1x on the price to sales, that's $336 billion market cap. So right there, we have $300 billion of market cap for Amazon. Now, the third-party sales, which is hundreds of thousands of small businesses selling on Amazon's marketplace, this has a much higher margin because Amazon basically just fulfills the product and they don't count the entire thing as revenue. They only count the part that they make money on, their fees as revenue of the sales. So this is understating how much they actually sell in third-party sales. If you looked at the total revenue of third-party sales, it would be multiples bigger than this. But since Amazon only counts their fees as revenue, it's $159 billion. And because this has three times the margin of first-party sales, we're going to give it a three times price to sales. That brings a valuation to $477 billion in the market cap. Now, moving on, we have the retail subscription revenue. This is very high margin revenue, and it's very consistent, sticky revenue. Amazon has one of the lowest churn rates in the industry right there with Costco. 
And because this is high margin revenue, we give it a higher valuation a four times price to sales, which again, I think is pretty reasonable. Now, they're expected to have $52 billion of subscription revenue in 2023, which means that this aspect of the business would be worth $208 billion. Based on these assumptions, that's what it's worth. Now, moving on, we have the AWS portion of Amazon. AWS is by far the most important, most profitable, biggest growth path, least disruptable, biggest moat part of Amazon. It is the key part of this business. And I think that in five to 10 years, that will become increasingly clear that when you're investing in Amazon, you're investing in this powerhouse of a business called AWS with their little side thing that they do in retail and their logistics business and their subscriptions. Those are all little side things around the central business, which is AWS. And I think that this business in and of itself is on par with the likes of Microsoft. So I hold AWS in incredibly high regard, and I think that this will continue to be a big profit center for Amazon. Now, AWS right now does $70 billion in revenue. That's their run rate. And they're expected in 2023 to do $111 billion which I think is a very conservative assumption based on their growth rate. The multiple that we're giving it is a conservative 10 price to sales. A 10 price to sales is a lower multiple than Microsoft, which currently has an 11 or 12, and Microsoft is growing around half the speed of AWS. So this is a very conservative multiple for this company. There's arguments out there that you could give AWS a 15 or 20 price to sales, but we're being conservative, giving it a 10 price to sales. That puts the enterprise value of just AWS at $1 trillion, $100 billion. 1.15. So just this portion of Amazon in and of itself, I think is worth over a trillion dollars. I think it's worth the majority of Amazon. And if you value any of the other business above $400 billion, which I think is extremely silly, it's conservative, obviously it's worth more than that. I think that Amazon right now is heavily undervalued. We can continue on with this. We have the other revenues, advertising. Advertising is a bigger business for Amazon than it is for YouTube. YouTube makes less money in advertising than Amazon does. In fact, Amazon's advertising business on their website, amazon.com, is not only bigger than YouTube, but it's actually growing at a quicker pace. They're making more money at a quicker pace than youtube.com. We have expectations in 2023 that the advertising portion of Amazon will have $59 billion in revenue. And this is an extremely high margin business. This is one of the most high margin parts of Amazon. If we attach a five price to sales on that, which I think is conservative, that is a $299 billion market cap. So when we break down all the parts of Amazon and give them all different conservative valuations, the company should be worth $2.4 trillion in 2023, which currently is a 44% upside. That would mean the price target as of right now, pre-split, would be 4,850. So the reason that I have Amazon as such a big conviction, such a big bet in my portfolio, the reason that I have 42% of my portfolio allocated to it is not because I like the logo or I like the website or you know Jeff Bezos isn't my hero. That's not the reason that I'm buying this stock. The reason that I'm buying it is because of the valuation. I think this company is heavily undervalued based on a breakdown of the parts of the company and their future growth expectations. I think that investors are heavily underestimating Amazon. So with Amazon, I not only have very high expectations, but I also feel like I have a decent margin of safety. I don't think I'm gonna lose any type of money on Amazon like I have with Netflix. I think that it has a much better margin of safety. And one last thing that I'll mention on Amazon, this company is constantly still innovating. They're still creating new stuff all the time. Amazon unveils Buy With Prime, expanding Prime shopping benefits beyond amazon.com. So now third-party websites 
can have a buy with Prime button where you pay with Prime and all the fulfillment and all the customer service, even though you're on a third-party website, is still fulfilled through Amazon. Just this news alone took Shopify down 9% today. The fact that Amazon is now going outside of the bounds of Amazon.com. Now you're going to be able to order from Amazon and their fulfillment as a service beyond just Amazon.com. So I'm very bullish on this company. I look forward to the earnings, crossing my fingers that it goes well, but we'll see.